Welcome all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. I'm Andy Burkowski with Christo Avalis. Every week we take a little bit of time out of our days and yours to discuss the issues that are affecting Canadians from that leftist perspective. Last week we were big into almost the entire show on the crisis that's happening right now in Palestine. And I think, Christo, that's probably the best place to pick up. So 100%. Things 100%. have It's still the biggest story, right? Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. Or it should be. Yeah. If we're doing our jobs, it's the biggest story right now. And last week we yeah. went really into the ins and outs of who is saying what, who's saying the right things, who are saying the wrong things. And I remember I asked you this question. If you think the response to this genocide that's happening right now in, in Palestine will be a greater outrage for the Palestinian people than ever before. And I think, if I recall, you were pretty hopeful that, you know, despite there usually being an entire monopoly of the Israeli perspective in the Western uh, world, that you thought there would be a big change. And I don't know about you, but it kind of seems like there are some pockets that are speaking out that I didn't expect. Uh, Like from, from my perspective, it's, it's there's some things that I've never seen before, both in Canada and the United States, also globally. But that's where, you know, I think we spend most of our time uh, analyzing things. I mean, for for me, it's uh, you're seeing more voices critical in media, even in mainstream media. Like you, we talked about Ali Velshi, I believe, last week where Ali Velshi is a Canadian, but he's a, a, a anchor at MSNBC calling uh, it apartheid on MSNBC, just bastion of yeah, corporate wow. Democrats. You also had Chris Hayes uh, earlier this week, uh, one of the better hosts on MSNBC. But again, it's still a mainstream network say, you know, Israel has this iron dome to protect its citizens partially funded by the American taxpayer because they send, you know, $3.8 billion a year to Israel. Um, wh- where's the iron dome for the Palestinian children that are getting bombed and murdered right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 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 where, where is that? And, and you... The, the reaction politically, like the NDP at best on this issue, we talked about this last week, we won't dwell, dwell on it, uh, keeps their head down on Israel-Palestine. Yeah. They never wanted to talk about it. They, they, they would rarely take a rah-rah Israel approach, but they'd be very reluctant to show public sympathy with Palestine or any sort of criticism of Israel. And that has changed. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not far enough, I would say, that most left activists and most Palestinian activists would want from the NDP. Yeah, but Christo, it's a I don't think uh, I yeah. don't think we've heard Jagmeet say the word genocide this last week. He has not. Yeah, yeah. He has not. No. But but the, the shifts are noticeable. You're even seeing uh, AOC in the House, mm-hmm. uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders in the Senate both moving uh, legislation that would block certain arms sales to Israel. It will almost certainly fail. I'm not trying to build any uh, false hope. But the fact that it's being moved and will be talked about in the uh, in the federal government of the United States is, is a major change. All of these things. And, and the biggest thing are the protests. Uh, you know, celebrities are being involved. There was a protest. Uh, let me uh, look at, just because I want to get it right. Mm-hmm. But there was a Detroit-Palestine protest. Uh, Detroit being uh, a, a a a massive community, uh, and there uh, was thousands and thousands wow. of people there. You know, Michigan in places like Dearborn have large 
uh, uh, Arab populations, large, large Muslim populations, but there was a massive protest, like tens of thousands really? minimum. Because I do know in Toronto uh, during the last weekend when the protests were hitting the uh, the world, they had estimates at least 3,000 people were there in Nathan Phillips Square in front of City Hall trying to advocate and fight for the yeah. lives of Palestinians that are being taken. And it was, you know, very emotional. I had some family that are still in Toronto that participated in it. And it's one of those, yep. those big moments where I think five years ago that, uh, you know, these protests might have happened, but I don't think it would be to this number. And I think that's something that is worth talking about and celebrating. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. These massive protests all over Canada, especially in some of the larger cities, crucial that a lot of them were either either outside of government buildings or in some cases uh you know at cbc radio canada places to kind of underline that this is a political question in canada obviously but it's also a question of like media politics right mm -hmm. and before so, we yeah, get no, more into that i just it is interesting to uh note the successes of yeah. this uh revolt i guess around the world and in the western world Although it doesn't seem like this will lead to tangible changes for the lives of Palestinians that are still being killed by this, you know, military outrage. And, you know, the genocide is still continuing. The only benefit I think that we really get from this for people like you and me, and I think we've said this many times during the last year, it's very clear now who your enemies are in the previous years, you know, neoliberal sentiments, they were a little harder to parse. They didn't say it as boldface. But now, since all of these crises are reaching a fever pitch, the line between, you know, progressive humanism and corporatism is is right there. So that is, I think, another benefit of this uh, public outrage is, you know, who is your enemy? If they're saying both sides, if they're saying Israel's right to exist again and again, when we're trying to discuss, you know, people dying and how to protect them, those are the people that are against, you know, yeah. uh, basic human instincts and basic human rights. Yeah. So, you know, that yeah, is a lot of people getting benefit. exposed right now. Right. Yeah. Whereas they weren't before, because within mainstream, like, look, these debates have been happening for a long time and mm -hmm. it would be a discredit to especially Palestinian activists, but lots of other folks, too, who have been who have been fighting for this so this is not a new issue but it is to say that within like quote-unquote respectable mainstream discourse uh this is we've we've not had discussions like this and so a lot of people are being exposed right now for basically supporting genocide or for being like they say they support indigenous rights they say they support black lives matter they say that they're progressive people and then when it comes down to it in israel at least they're like yeah genocide is good actually <laughs> right and so there's a lot of people uh regular folks and and famous folks you know having their views really exposed here and look one issue isn't shouldn't always be seen as a a, a you know 100 litmus test on whether someone is progressive or not or bold or not or good or not but i think this is as close as it gets for for me at least yeah. is like what's your position on israel palestine yeah um and it, it's not maybe not necessarily black and white but where you are on that gradient tells me a lot about you so do i expect a lot to change here probably not like the united states is still gonna have massive bipartisan support for supporting israel it's gonna be less than before but still significant in canada 
you know, the liberals and conservatives at least have broad consensus in their support of Israel and they form, you know, 75, 80% of the houses of the, of the seats in the house. And so that, you know, any, any effort to challenge Israel, even if the NDP could form a minority government, it would be hard to bring in significant uh, reform, right? Because of the, the liberals and conservatives being able to unite. And remember but what that reform seeing, was too, right? Like the, the NDP of what they're requesting here. Very what, limited. Very, 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 very yeah. <laughs> like it It's common sense, right? It's yeah. not far enough. It isn't. It isn't far enough, but because it's like we want to stop weapon sales and, and, and that's good. We should. But Canada doesn't have the level of weapons deals with um, Israel that we do with, say, Saudi Arabia. So it's not that significant. It's We're talking in like the dozens of millions we're not talking about hundreds of millions or billions of dollars right yeah. and then also it's you know to stop um to put pressure economically on israel but only in the occupied illegally occupied settlement so if there's a company that operates in the west bank where where there's an illegal settlement um Canada would not allow that trade to occur, but it wouldn't be a uh, a blanket, you know, BDS by uh, boycotts, divestments, and sanctions of Israel. The NDP is not calling for that. So yeah, and Trudeau's you know, it's, so it's, against yeah. that. Like he, he's yeah, made yeah, Trudeau's one hundred percent against that. that BDS but, is akin to you know other uh, massive outrages that are are happening around the world. So yeah, I, I can't even believe that these very modest movements by the NDP still, like you're saying, even if they did have a minority government there's very little chance that even these modest yeah. changes would happen. Yeah, no. So, I mean, a couple things, though, to calm this thing, because, look, we don't want to be all, uh, you know, uh, gloomy gusses here. <laughs> but, you know, there were some bad signs here and, and signs that the media is not fixed. Like this idea that there's, there's, there's some new voices critical in the media. Uh, and, and, like, and we talked about them both in Canada and the U.S., and that's fantastic. And I think that even if those people aren't always perfect, they should be praised on this issue. It's great to see. Uh, even Geraldo Rivera, Trump Jesus. supporting, at least initially, Geraldo Rivera on Fox News basically pleaded for the humanity of Palestinians mm -hmm. on Fox News. As rare as that, that would never have happened before. And so this it's big. But one thing is there was a letter and I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast last week, but I, I wrote about it in my latest Canadian Dimension article where I covered Trudeau and Biden continuing to support genocide despite this this global protest. Um, and uh, it was signed by, when I signed it, 1,500 uh, journalists, columnists, writers all across Canada, mm -hmm. uh, basically asking for major newsrooms, uh, you know, newspapers, TV, all those sorts of things, to do a better job covering Israel and covering Palestine and covering the 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 situation on the ground. Um, saying that for, for too long, the issues have been covered, uh, vastly, uh, below expectation and have often been, uh, blatantly biased in favor of Israel. Um, and that was great. We've never seen anything like that, but there have been reports after that, that some of the journalists signing that document have been told that they're not allowed to cover Israel and Palestine anymore because they have quote unquote revealed a, a blatant bias mm -hmm. on the matter. Jesus. Right. And so, uh, and one other example, uh, Andy spoke about it at a Toronto rally where I believe as many, was it as, as many as 10,000 people were there yeah, on short a, notice. Yeah. Three to 10 um, they were looking at. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. So I, you know, it, it looked, it looked, I think closer to the higher end of that. Mm -hmm. And there was afterwards, there was allegedly, uh, an, uh, an older Jewish man who, because there was a small 
counter protest by by supporters of Israel. A a a a, a older Jewish man was accosted and attacked and beaten by Palestinian or pro-Palestinian mobs. And 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 Stephen Lecce, the the one of the Ford ministers, spoke about it. John Tory did. It was run throughout the entire mainstream media. I think Trudeau loosely alluded to it in a, in a statement, you know, kind of condemning anti-Semitism. And then it turns out that when the full video was released, this fucker was one of the people starting the attacks. Yeah, that has a history right? like, of like it. The, that was part yeah, of like, yeah. doing this the for Jewish years and years League. and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like this guy is a is a thug. Right? I'm not mm. even necessarily saying that the other people were 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 innocent. I'm not. I'm not. But I'm not saying they're not. But what we did see by the video is that this guy appeared to be and, and the people he was with the initiators of the scuffle. Yeah. Right, and so. Like and the media just instantly ran with it. Like this guy's it was a catnip victim for them, really. Like it was, it was something to justify their positions. Yeah, because like, yeah, we're, we really look like the assholes here supporting child genocide. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can find one thing in Toronto to like say actually because this guy got punched in in Nathan Phillips Square. Um, it, Gazans deserve to die. Sorry, that's yeah. just how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so like, so like, let's be clear. You know, there there have been the sort of changes that I think will ultimately be required to get justice. Like, like, look, the the analogs are different. There's a lot of differences, but you know, Israel is an apartheid state, mm-hmm. and so is South Africa, and the international pressure on South Africa did not just immediately emerge. It took time. It took opinions to change um but there was a point where there emerged at least a broad consensus in the western world that what was happening in south africa was wrong and there needed to be various forms of pressure on south africa political economic diplomatic they weren't allowed to go to the olympic games for instance Mm -hmm. um to really hammer home that this is unacceptable um and i don't know if we're there yet on israel but maybe this is the first step towards that second step, which, you know, leads to the final step of, you know, a, a, a justice for Palestinians. It does seem like if there's such a reaction by the mainstream and the establishment to anyone speaking out against this, then maybe you're doing something right. Like in my world, my, my primary job in uh, video game news and media, a lot of very mainstream, the ones that get you know 50 million views a month and are appealing to all different sorts of video gamers were going out and asking for support for Palestinians yeah. that were being killed. Yeah. IGN and, and GameStop yeah. and Game Informer. A few yeah. days later, it was found out that the parent companies of all of these major video game websites demanded that these posts that were just asking for charitable donations, not asking you to get militant, it was just let's help people, had to be taken down. And there was such an outrage uh, in the actual editorial uh, departments that they signed letters trying to push and say, you know, this isn't right and we want to have independence. So it was just, it was really endearing to see in my little neck of the woods that there is a progressive voice that's willing to fight against the machine of capital that always dominates uh, video game discussions for something that's better. So if they're willing to push this hard, then it's likely, like you said, we're on a path to hopefully at least 
freedom. Like you said, it could be decades. It could be, it could take so long as it did in South Africa, but th- that has to be a step in the right direction when so many people in power are trying to silence you. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. But we, and look, we even see things like, you know, it's, it's not just the liberals and conservatives. I think. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we we uh, we found some evidence of higher ups because we we were both wondering. Like the Green Party put out an awful statement last week. We covered it. They tried to listen to the criticism, not just from outside the Green Party, because there's a lot of people in the Green Party that are very good on this issue. Uh, one of their MPs from Fredericton uh, criticized the party, uh, and Dimitri Lascaris, who came fairly close to winning the leadership of the Green Party uh, last year also spoke about uh, about the need to do better. But I believe there was evidence that one of Annamie Paul, she's the Green Party leader's staffers, put out a very inflammatory message. I don't, do you have it there, Andy? Or yeah, so it, this is actually coming from uh, Genevieve Jolie, who was on our show a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about the NDP Palestinian resolution, excuse me. Uh, and yeah, she was talking about how uh, the Green Party leader, the chief of staff, spoke out uh, for Gaza and calling Zionism a settler colonial ideology, excuse me, to its core on an indigenous liberation movement. So let's get the actual quote here. It's uh, a little bit blurry. But basically, this individual is saying, we will not accept an apology after you realize what you've done. We will work to defeat you and bring in progressive climate champions who are Antifa and pro-LGBT and pro-Indigenous sovereignty and Zionists. (laughs) And the progressive and climate uh, communities have displayed at some point this week overt and virulent anti-Jewish behavior, appalling anti-Semitism and discrimination from a range of political actors, beginning with Jagmeet Singh. And he tags Singh. That's like he, he like he literally he does. You know, it's like his own. This is a, this is a Facebook post, right? So he's he does the thing where he tagged him uh, there. Yeah. Yeah, but that that's essentially it. They're yeah. they're not going to accept an apology. This is the chief of staff of the leader saying we won't accept an apology. I don't know if that's. I think her title that uh, uh, Genevieve uh, Joel corrects that. It's not the chief of staff. Oh, I believe it is is a it's another position senior advisor to the leader yeah to senior advisor in any case it's 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 not some random green party staffer it's not somebody that ran in you know saskatchewan for the greens and got three (laughs) percent last year or whatever 2019 it is a uh a, a a person that likely has the ear of the green party leader and it feels confident enough to not only say this, but like you said, tag Jagmeet in it. Like this is, he said this because he wants it to be heard by members of uh, this political community that he's in that he believes are doing wrong. And, and then it's so funny because we look at actually what Jagmeet and many liberal NDP uh, MPs are saying, and it's nothing remotely enough. And it's still seen as yeah. anti-Semitic by well, this and most individual. of the Liberal Party has taken the Green Party line, right? Yeah. There's been some isolated Liberal MPs who have spoken out, but but by and large, I mean, I think he's he's sort of just going off. And I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous that that you can you can say you support Indigenous rights and then support what's happening there. Like yeah. I'm going to spell this out. They literally. In in the parts like because in in the West Bank, which is you know n- not Gaza, it's on the other part of Israel, uh, near near the other part of Israel, there are people called settlers. <laughs> they are literally settler colonializing as we speak. 
with either indirect or direct support from the Jewish, like from the Israeli government, they are colonializing with settlers the land of the Palestinians. Yeah. Right? Like they're doing that, right? And and again, this is something that 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 even even Canada at least acknowledges as inappropriate, if not illegal. Mm-hmm. And the UN has decried, with vast majority of the of the nations of the world have decried as illegal because it violates all the agreements that have been reached, uh, tentative as they are and insufficient as they are between Israelis and Palestinians. And so this guy is literally like, and you're seeing this, you're seeing all these people who'd be like, uh, you know, uh, indigenous lives matter. Uh, we support, uh, you know, uh, all these sorts of movements then come out and defend what's happening. This is literally what European Canadians did, except you're seeing it in 4k, like on TikTok, <laughs> you know? And like, it's just basically, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just political expediency. He knows that yeah. in Canada, with anybody that would consider voting green, they think indigenous issues, at least rhetorically, are easy and safe. Yeah. But here, it's it's like, no, it, it, it boggles my mind. Because basically, um, it, the treatment of Palestinians in many ways is what we've done to indigenous people. And in some ways, at least contemporarily, more intensified. It might be even worse in some ways than what we're doing to indigenous people now. Yeah. Maybe not historically, but like it, it, it's it's the same broad project. Israel and Canada have the same broad project. You cannot say that you support the rights of indigenous people and be pro what Israel is doing. You are stupid or a liar or both if you think that. Well, I I do think, just analyzing this, that he is speaking to a constituency of like really horrible people. Like I do think there are individuals that compartmentalize their progressivism and humanism two issues that they don't have particular prejudices for, but it, it is so fun. And that's wrong. Like that, that's fundamentally yeah. always going to hurt your country and, and the people you claim to represent. It's disingenuous, like you said, but just the line of saying, and I'm reading it here, we will work to defeat you and bring in progressive climate champions. So one tick there, cause everyone knows you have to be climate champions <laughs> yeah. who are also Antifa and pro LGBT, another tick there, very, very important. Israel is the far. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> Israel is the far right now. They are the far. I'm not saying like 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 Hamas are angels. I'm not saying that, yeah. and I'm not saying that Israel's neighbors are are angels. Most of them not, are not. But like Israel, in this instance, they are the fa. The the antifa are the are the Gazans on the ground. Yeah, it, they are it's antifa so funny, here. Like, why do you have to even like? Fuck, and and this is this is the issue with our language around this. Remember, we we talked about this last week because I came in and even at that point was spouting words like conflict, which you know you have to get out of yeah. your brain. But even yeah, yeah, now, yeah, work on that. Yeah, even yeah. now when you're talking about labeling Israel right now as fascist. The idea that you had to double down and explain that, no, this isn't an equivocation to Hamas and other people is such an unnecessary yeah. mental gymnastics. Yeah. But no, you I mean, know I don't even know why I do did it. that. But you yeah, have to yeah. because these people like that's exactly, you know, that's where they're going to go. Yeah, next. you know, you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. always the next step when it's ludicrous that 
that would even equivocate that. That doesn't make sense that saying Israel's fascist does not mean that Hamas is not like this yeah. is insane. What a stranglehold this conflict. Again, look what I just said there. Jesus yep, Christ. Yep, yep, <laughs> that yep. This <laughs> this attack against humanity has on our language and our minds. And some people are so brainwashed into believing there can be only one way that I think you really hit the nail on the head when you likened it to South African apartheid, that no one saw it could change until it did. And it took a long time for, you know, the mainstream parts of the world to use even the appropriate language to change it. But it's good that someone like this is seen as insane or perhaps even evil for saying these sorts of statements. Because I think it does usher in the idea that we are moving towards a place where common sense humanism, you always hear like common sense capitalism, other obscene things, but real common sense leftism can be applied and cut through these same tools that are meant to obfuscate and and make us believe in things that are, are just not true. Israel is the fa in this. You can't be yeah. pro-indigenous sovereignty and a Zionist. Like, I think that's a pretty fair assessment, especially at this point in time. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if like, what do you think generally a Green Party voter or a, a part of that Green Party constituent feels about something like this? Because it is always a wild card for me when trying to understand the, uh, you know, the, the constituency of the Green Party federally and, and what that is representing. Because on the one hand, you know, some very uh, progressive changes and, and wants for for climate change. But on the other, there's, you know, a big capitalist component to a lot of the movements and pushes that have happened within that party. So I don't know, maybe maybe you can illuminate it for me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the the Green Party as a smaller party, it's 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 very eclectic. Sometimes, yeah, they don't often have like a set of prescribed views. In fact, one of the arguments the Greens will make is that what makes us different is that when you send us to Parliament, we don't whip votes. That's yeah. one of the arguments they make. At least hypothetically, they don't really have a large enough caucus to really test that. It, maybe in in PEI, we could look at that at some point because they do have you know more than a few Green M- uh, MLAs in 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 the PEI legislature, but um, the reality reality is like um they they i i think there's a large component of that party that are uh you know eco bourgeois right mm. and like uh maybe see israel as representative of like their worldview in some ways uh, and buy into some of the propaganda around israel um you've also seen you know, Anami Paul basically support, or at least be okay with the coup in Bolivia last year, the current yeah. Green leader that came up during the debate. And so I think that the Green Party in many ways is not is not necessarily worse than the liberals or conservatives. And I would say that, you know, the conservatives, for instance, came out and, and basically when they saw all of this, uh, not only uh, defended Israel, but sort of praised it and, 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 and said they were right to do what they were doing because Hamas was was evil and all these yeah. sorts of things. Um, so the green, like, I don't want to, you know, uh, put, put things in perspective uh, or I do want to put, put, put things in perspective, but I, I just, I don't know if, uh, you know, barring one of the left leaning candidates like Kuttner or, or uh, Lascaris winning that this, this was going to change. I think that the green party's view is, you know, foreign policy matters, but 
We don't really care about it in terms of how it drives our electoral vision. So when in doubt, kind of follow the Canadian consensus. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NDP has done that at times too. I mean, I think, and, and I, I think we were going to maybe talk about this so we can kind of lead into it, but it's like, in terms of how this will affect politics, it's hard to say, right? Clearly, this is a salient issue, but will the average Canadian, when they go to the polls in the next federal election, which could be this year, I'm not sure. My instinct is that maybe if a good chunk of Canadians get vaccinated, we might have like a fall election or something, right? Yeah. But in the next election, uh, will this be the thing that drives a person's vote? And I don't I don't know if it will be. I mean, it's, I'm trying to think of the last time like a foreign affairs issue that didn't yeah. directly say involve Canadian troops or something like a, like a, like a war, like that Canada was directly involved yeah. in instead of just kind of a proxy uh, for Israel as we are. Um, I don't well, know the last time that well, it it's drove. interesting too, even to look at just the, the, the timeliness of the average Canadian citizen. Like if we look a year ago, the biggest issue on everyone's mind was BLM. And the yeah. you know assassination of uh, black individuals by the police in both America and the United States, yeah. posing that same question now. If there was an election in in the fall, I don't know if the comments by Trudeau and Jagmeet a year ago about this real watershed moment that was really important for human rights would move the needle for for most Canadians. And I'm worried that maybe, you know, this is happening right now. We're in the nearing the end of May. You know, if there's not another ongoing crisis, I know there's some talk of a ceasefire, which at least quiets down the conversation, obviously doesn't solve it for the people who are are suffering. But I don't know if the same thing would happen where this is more removed from the consciousness of average Canadians who are voting, you know, I, I don't think COVID will not, de- that won't happen with COVID. That will always be front of mind. Like if, if a politician's fucked up during this pandemic, I think that will be there, but I don't know. What, what do you think? Like if this is happening now, if it quiets down, could this still be an issue? Um, well, like I think a couple things, one, you know, the, the Israel lobby is organized and, and, and powerful and influential and, uh, you know, we saw what they did with the smears to Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Um, all fucking baseless. And, and Corbyn's only been proven more and more correct on everything every single day since uh, he since the Labour Party basically tried to sabotage him uh, with the day he became leader of the Labour Party, essentially. Um, and, and so um, I think that there is a risk that this could be used as a way to brand... Uh, people that understand the situation as being anti-Semitic. But I also wonder now if the effect of this is less, um, is less, uh, having an immediate effect like the George Floyd situation, which again, we have to say like whether it was George Floyd or whether it was indigenous people and black people in Canada being murdered Mm -hmm. uh, by police, which, which happened frequently that same summer. Um, you know, that was happening here. And I wonder if, fairly or not, Canadians will see that differently. Now, because there are rising sympathies with Palestine, though, we may be entering a new stage of politics where simply being critical of Israel or sympathetic to Palestine is no longer the liability it once was. And so does this drive... uh, Does this drive... uh, 
Politics? No, I would say not. Even in a relatively calm election, but 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 we are beyond this in in just unprecedented times with COVID. Yeah. Like COVID and the this, the, 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 the economic and social problems coming out of COVID will drive the next elections. I can't imagine foreign policy uh, on anything except maybe trade with the U.S. If yeah. like if there's trade issues with the U.S. or something beyond that, it's like I can't I can't see it playing a role, uh, a major one. But, you know, now before, whereas before it's like Jagmeet would be absolutely tarred and feathered as being an, a rabid anti-Semite right now. And they're going to try it. I wonder if Canadians are going to be like, well, maybe I'm not 100 percent, you know, with Palestine. But like, I don't necessarily think uh, as I once did that critical criticism of Israel brands one an anti-Semite. Maybe that's the new normal in Canadian politics. I do wonder if this quarantine during the pandemic has given people the the opportunity to be more involved in politics in a way that we haven't seen before. Because I, I'm just trying to think back to this ongoing crisis that's been happening between Israel and Palestine for for generations and it does seem now maybe we're just older and wiser and like you said it's it's in 4k but it does seem now the awareness of who is really being victimized here is much more front and center and easy to consume we have a lot more sources that are are saying that but I also think that we've all been cooped up and we're it's still not life as normal as it once was for a lot of Canadians. For for many, they they still they're going through you know the worst times of their life consistently for the past year because their life hasn't changed; it's just gotten worse. But I do wonder if this this quarantine has changed not only how we're going to vote for you know upcoming politicians and what they've done during this quarantine, but also our opportunity to consume and metabolize more complex. Uh, political issues where Canadian leaders are having an effect on our life. And I don't know, again, I'm a lot of I don't knows here, but if that is just, you know, things are getting so much worse that it's easier to see the cracks in the vase. So they become a little more glaring. Like there's so many more that the quarantine and the lack of a substantial uh, social safety net for a lot of people. I know Canada, we are much better than most, but still not perfect kind of sent us through the um, snowballing effect, I hope at least, of seeing these same cracks in almost every other part of our life. I think there's been an extreme radicalization, and I think this is bleeding into, you know, even average liberal people like my mom and dad that I didn't suspect would care about this in this sort of way, but now really do. So I don't know if you've seen that at all or, or what your thoughts are on that, Christo, but it, it, it is interesting to see how this pandemic has changed basically our, our, our whole way that we consume politics. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that's playing a role. Yeah. I definitely think that. Uh, it, it, the pandemic itself has uh, either it, it, it scab, uh, exacerbated or revealed certain elements of tribalism. You know, like the the, the pandemic itself being being politicized, uh, vaccines being politicized, masks, social distancing being politicized. I, yeah, I one hundred percent think that uh, the pandemic uh, helped. Uh, create and 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 sort of reinforce a lot of these tensions and because everyone is stressed people were unemployed uh and are unemployed people were going without uh, social assistance for long periods of time mm-hmm. unable to pay their rent all of these things i think in addition to uh, you know some of these moments happening can be a bit of a powder keg 
and that it can all kind of combine, uh, you know, as it did last summer with with the U.S. election, kind of creating this perfect storm around George Floyd, where there was a there was an election coming with a racist president. Uh, you know, uh, you 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 then had you know all this the the people being cooped up for a long time. It, 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 yeah, I hundred percent think COVID has has. I don't know if it's permanently changed things, but yeah. politics during COVID that even things that aren't COVID have changed. If if mm-hmm. that makes sense. No, yeah, I think. You know, it's it's a brave new world. So it's interesting to see how this will continue to move as things begin to open up. Like as we are recording right now, Doug Ford is holding a press conference talking about the expected plans for reopening uh, places in Ontario. We're apparently going to not be using the same color coded system that we've had for, you know, eight months here. And they just want to do some more general reopenings uh there's been a a major survey done by uh, global news asking canadians if they believe this summer will be another disappointment if we're going to be you know locked up again which also is a little bit of a confirmation bias because for a lot of people working in canada uh they have to go to work every day and the environments are a little bit dangerous so take that as you will but In this survey, 61% of those who responded to the poll believe that summer will be better than last year, but close to 70% think that this summer could be lost. That it's even though it'll be better than last year, it's not going to be back to normal. And the interesting thing is that at least in Ontario, the... Um, messaging is very different. This was just released this week that the province's science advisory table is suggesting outdoor activities this summer not only be opened, but encouraged, and that Ontarians should be in the mood for what is a called a quote-unquote good summer. This is supposedly in connection to improved uh, vaccination rates that apparently in the next couple of days, Canada could pass the U.S. per capita in vaccine coverage. Again, that is just for single doses. Yes. Full yeah, I was going to say rate. there's a lot. Of, yeah, we we're, are like we're 4% still about ten, or something. It's yeah, bad. we're about one tenth their full vaccination <laughs> yeah. rate. But through a mixture, largely it's that's nothing. That's not to praise us. That's that's the U.S. just having a bunch of of uh, anti-vaxxers the U- Canada will soon catch the US in the amount of people who have gotten at least one dose yeah. because the US vaccination rate is slowing down by virtue of the fact that like all the MAGA folks are are, are going to get COVID to own the libs, I guess. <laughs> well, and yeah, and it's just, it's interesting to see just this one moment coming this summer, I think will be a, a tipping point a little bit for COVID in Canada, because there's still not a guarantee that that we won't have another fourth wave or or how this will affect Canadian life. But like you said there, we haven't reached the stage yet where the crazies amongst us are refusing to get our numbers up because, you know, we're still just trying to get those initial first doses. But just... yeah, go ahead. The polling in Canada looks pretty decent on this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like, like, again, surprise, surprise, conservatives are like the least likely to want to get vaccinated, ob- obviously. But um, it does. Uh, let me see. Where is it? Right here. <clears throat> Let's see. It, yeah. they, okay. So one one thing it shows is that uh, the, the, the province with the most vaccine hesitation, according to Angus Reid, this was on the 16th 
is Saskatchewan with 24% of people who are unwilling or unsure. So a mixture of the two. So not, not all of those are necessarily unwilling and maybe the unsures can be converted. And so even in Saskatchewan, the worst province for this, you can still hit about a three quarters vaccination rate. Places like Ontario, mm. Quebec, BC, Atlantic, Manitoba, you're in around 10 to 12% of hesitation. So 80, so 90% or so uh, willing to get vaccinated. Alberta, about 15% unwilling. And so there was another poll here that had, I think, a similar thing asking whether Canadians wanted to get vaccinated. And it showed that uh, it was it was, it was was quite partisan outside of the... Uh, or a, a partisan gap between the Conservatives and the rest of the parties who mm-hmm. were relatively close. But um, I think the, the Canadian uh, rate is still... Um, above eighty percent. Yeah, and that's and that's a change, right, of what you're saying to uh, the American consensus of what. Yeah, we've the seen American so far. consensus. There are some populations, specifically conservative men, um, that 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 do not uh, that that are that are slow on vaccines, and you're even yeah. seeing it in Congress, where uh, congressional Democrats have all been vaccinated in the Senate and the House, and that is not the case. With Republicans, um, you know, uh, you, uh, uh, at least 42%, 44% of House members are vaccinated. So only about half the House is vaccinated. Most Republican senators are vaccinated, to be clear, 46 out of 50. Um, but uh, you're seeing a good, a good chunk of uh, House Republicans not getting vaccinated. I don't think that's going to be the case in Canada. You're mm. not going to see beyond the true crazies like Hillier and Sloan and, and, and these types, like Maxime Bernier. I know he's not, in, he's not in office anymore, but uh, <laughs> I think that most politicians, including very conservative ones in Canada, are going to get vaxxed if they haven't been yet. And it's so that, interesting. That, that will make a difference. But yeah. I mean, in terms of like the summer, is it lost or not? I think it depends, right? I mean, like... I think we're definitely going to, especially towards the end of the summer, likely see more broader reopenings. Yeah. So I do think that, for instance, you're gonna your restaurants might reopen, patios might reopen. I I I have I guess a bit of optimism for that. But we're already seeing that a lot of things that people associate with the summer are not going to happen. A lot of fairs, a lot of festivals are not going to happen mm-hmm. again. So you know the the Toronto exhibition I think was formally canceled. I know yeah. it happens later in the summer, but I'm guessing they're thinking that even with the uh, uh, optimistic vaccination rate, it's not going to happen. Uh, I, I, I can, I, I'd be very surprised if Toronto FC and the Toronto Blue Jays and all these other teams uh, start playing again in Canada. I likely think they're just going to be doing their seasons, uh, you know, in in Florida where where they've yeah. been. So, do we see a return? to to summer normalcy is it going to be a lost summer in the sense that it's not like summer 2019 yeah but i do think it's going to be better i think than 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 2020 and we know more now too Mm -hmm. uh summer 2020 it was a full lockdown for much of it uh we all kind of hunkered down i think now there's a a greater knowledge and confidence that most outdoor activity is actually pretty safe Mm -hmm. uh and i think that 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 that'll bode well for for 
this summer being better. It is. Funny. Maybe I'm wrong and it's going to yeah. suck even harder. Who knows? It could, it could be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that some jurisdictions are a little more open than others. And then we could see, you know, a, a new wave in there. And that is traditionally what has happened here in Ontario, at least. And I know in some other provinces for the beginning of the year that we were open and then closed and then open and then closed. And unfortunately it started to, as we've said on the show so many times, make people really feel the pressures and the mental toll, not to mention the fact that Doug Ford still today is blaming our border for the issue, the lack of border security for the COVID numbers, even as he's trying to give us what seemingly is going to be some good news of how like there's a a reopening plan. He still has to make sure that there's not as much focus on him because, as we've said, he has taken a huge brunt, which is well-deserved, for completely fucking up most of this pandemic response. The, the people that he blamed, the actions that he took, it was just atrocious. You know, next, when is the next, uh, you probably know this off the top of your head, when's the next uh, Ontario election? You know, do you think Ford could hang on? I mean, I'm not sure if there's going to be a revolt against him or not. Yeah. Um I, I do know that it's 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 tentatively scheduled for about this time next year. Now there is flexibility, of course. Ford could could wait, uh, and 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 indeed, in reality, uh, this is rarely the case. Uh, Canadian, you don't actually have to have an election every four years in Canada. You can actually go every five. Usually, we kind of do four. But like the general expectation is that the election is going to be in 2022, and is likely going to be in or around. June 2nd. Mm-hmm. That's when it was. So usually they'll they'll target it there. Now Ontario uh, apparently uh uh in, in earlier in the pandemic last fall uh Ontario MPPs voted unanimously in favor of a motion stating that the government will not call an election prior to the fixed date in 2022. So the fixed date isn't necessarily one day, but um uh, you look look towards summer 2022 so yeah. there is an opportunity for ford if as crazy as it is if the recovery goes well uh and you know people start getting jobs and um you know the 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 all those things start to improve and uh you know there's not a a covid hangover and we do mm-hmm. have a a v-shaped ish recovery that there's enough time that he could win people back but of course there's there it's also the case that if he continues to bungle it that there's more time for him to bury himself right now some polling indicates that he's losing but all polls indicate that he's taken a hit the most recent one i've seen would have him in a minority government basically but still retaining a government eh? like is there just well i mean unless there's a coalition against him of course yeah but, yeah yeah but yes but yes yeah essentially is it just a lack of leadership here because i know you know people don't even know who del duca is here in ontario i feel like but i i just like who is the voice that could come up against ford considering this dismal summer and a year that he has had responding to this like truly members of his um staff doing some criminal things especially when it comes to long-term care homes like just atrocious behavior but we don't really have someone who who could fight back it seems like anyway I mean, right now it's it, it's been really hard. It's been hard for I think the opposition parties, both the NDP and the Liberals, to really capture media imagination. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure what it's going to take. I mean, right now Ford is sort of hanging himself, mm-hmm. but it's a question of 
how much more does he have to do for like the coup de gras? Like what, at what yeah. point is he going to like sort of take himself out? Uh, are we there yet? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and again, there, there's time. There's a lot of time before the next election. Um, you know, uh, he could, he could fall further, but again, a, a strong recovery, uh, whether he actually did anything to get that recovery happening or not could, could, could save him. Really? It's possible. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll have to see. We'll have an eye out. Just try to remember how y'all are feeling right now, May 2021, of how this pandemic has gone and how uh, politicians have responded. And let's see where we're at, you know, six months from now, eight months from now, 10 months from now, to see what the public sentiment is. Uh, we got a little more time here, Christo. Do you want to talk about a neoliberal sock or an MP showing us pieces of wood. Which one do you want to discuss? Let's go with that. We got to go with the sock. The we sock go man. The sock. All yeah. right. So for yeah. those of you who are not familiar, this will sound like a LSD dream. But there yeah. is if, someone in. If you're Canadian if you're <laughs> under thirty, you yeah. <laughs> you might not know who this is. Maybe twenty five. But but we'll yeah. So. The name Ed the Sock is who we're talking about. It is a puppet, kind of like a discount version of uh, Triumph, the insult comic dog from Conan, if you guys are Mm -hmm. familiar. It's just a a real bad copy that he was on uh, much music and a lot of these kind of uh, subversive counterculture things in the late 90s and in through the 2000s and he was always like a little puppet but he was he was fighting against it a funny little thing that we had here in Canada and Ontario and wouldn't it be great you know just a funny little thing that we can have that's good to laugh at so it turns out the dude who is behind the sock is just a crazy grifter who believes some absolutely insane things and this week ed the sock who is his uh, twitter handle was back in the news saying this on twitter i believe i will always be a liberal but i have come to hate the left they have become doctrinated and are as intolerant as the right but instead of race or ethnicity they are intolerant of anyone who doesn't agree with them 100 percent a plague on both your houses so it is always really funny when you see a little puppet spouting like these yeah this is this guy he he embodies the puppet it's 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 like it's weird yeah (laughs) he does not go by his uh he does not go by his real name steven kersner uh, by the way he hates it when people bring it up steven kersner is his name yeah, and it's a, it's at Ed the Sock. He's verified for some reason. Uh, he does follow me on Twitter. Hey, you know I've ripped him. Yeah, no fewer than half a dozen times over the past year. Um, and so yeah, basically he got really mad that um, people uh, thought Palestinians were human beings. Basically. Yeah, he's been. So, it's amazing if you go through his feed to see what a mouthpiece he is to this idea of both sides. Is um, you know, it's Israel fighting. Uh, Hamas that's the only issue here and even in the past this guy has you know as Ed the Sock on a podcast which I think is maybe the most insane thing I've said this entire episode he was playing the voice of the puppet on a not a visual means so he didn't have to say he was Ed the Sock this is just him talking absolutely crazy made a comment on Jagmeet saying that the brightest thing about him is his turban 
which obviously, you know, quite racist. And he was also involved in the Gamergate movement from years ago that uh, when I was more of a um, reporter in video game news would butt up against him at that moment. Like he's just an overall bad, bad dude. Big Trudeau supporter, but he yeah. ran for the P- uh, the PCs, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s. The one tweet that like, look, a lot of this was really bad. Yeah. But he basically like just to say, um, you know, somebody tweeted something. I'm blocked by that person. <laughs> I don't know, probably some lib. But it says here, don't believe everything you read about that conflict you know, about Israel-Palestine. Yeah. He says there's a lot of inform- misinformation and the context is left out. Western countries and media rarely do-, do the work to present a full picture. They choose sides instead. Yes, Ed, the sock. <laughs> they've chosen Israel every time, basically, every right? Every single like, time. And so this one tweet here, he responds to Jeremy Appel, who is the host, uh, who uh, hosts Big Shiny Takes, which mm. is another, I believe that is a Harbinger show. Yes, indeed. Big Shiny Takes. So uh, check them out along with all the other Harbinger shows. But um, he said, show me evidence that Hamas was in the, uh, has outposts and hospitals. <laughs> and if I murdered someone, tell the judge I did nothing wrong because I warned them I was going to murder them. I don't imagine I would be acquitted. Giving, referencing the, you know, they're bombing where the journalists were, but they gave an hour's notice. He says, yeah. rules and engagement of military conflict are not the same as civil law. That's a stupid comparison. And they rarely kill anyone else in those attacks because they warned them to get out. <laughs> Hamas Hamas hauled a bunch of stuff out of their office in that AP, the building the AP was in. Oh my that is God. a fucking lie. That's insane. Right? This like, is like, Sock saying this too. Like, that we yeah, should repeat this. This is literally Sock <laughs> puppeting on the internet. Look, look, this is crazy, right? Because, because... Like, there's been no proof of that. They kind of just did it, and Israel was like, the source was like, trust me, bro. Yeah. And then, like, there have, has been no evidence provided, uh, you know, and and the, the true Israel ghouls, like the Israel defenders at all costs, will come out and basically almost blame the AP, blame Al Jazeera, yeah. blame all these other journalistic outlets for daring to share office space with Hamas. <laughs> but again, there's no proof that Hamas was in that building. There's it no doesn't proof. make sense either. Like if you yeah. even think about it, it for sense. a second, yeah. it's crazy yeah. to assume. And it's just, uh, I, I need to keep hitting this home because you talk about the Israeli ghouls that are out there uh, in the discourse and they're often of a certain type. It's just so funny to see this sock puppet that represented, you know, Blink-182 and how great and cool that was 15 years ago is now trying to explain to us a conspiracy theory about, you know, the uh, Israeli genocide. Like, it's it's a uniquely Canadian take on something that's evil. So I do love how terrible he is, but it is, uh, yeah. it's remarkable that he's been able to get this far. He represents an actual strand of discourse, though, yeah, which is yeah. important, right? So, yeah. All right. So Ed the Sock, worst Canadian of the week. He gets the title. And just before we close out, I wanted to uh, reach to our Patreon. We had a couple of questions this week, and this one is uh, directed towards you, Christo, from uh, Pierre. Patreon question is, Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States gets mentioned a lot in U.S. progressive circles because it's really good at dispelling the right-wing imperialist propaganda most Americans are indoctrinated with in grade school. Does a similar book on Canadian history exist? And then he asks if you would write one if it doesn't. So uh, big question there, Christo. Yeah, what what do you think? Is there something that's analogous to this that can kind of give an alternative that could really help uh, with a lot of the indoctrination that we as Canadians absolutely have, even if we're not in the United States? Uh, Yeah, what do you think? 
I mean, there there ne- there isn't necessarily something like like that 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 work. It's so influential as like a one-stop shop. I think one of the problems is that we don't have a work like that, right? Mm-hmm. Back during grad school, I remember my 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 doctoral supervisor uh, Ian Mackay basically say like we we need one of these things. Um a, a kind of it was it's not even a short history necessarily but you know like a one volume you don't need to read 60 books a a uh you know a, a guide a, 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 essentially a, yeah. yeah yeah like you know this is a book you can read you're going to get a a good overview of american history from a left perspective it's not without scholarly value but it, it's it's also it's it's not a quote unquote biased our unbiased take. We don't necessarily have something like that in Canada. I would mm-hmm. say, um, you know, there are there are lots of good works done on the Canadian working class and on Canadian women uh, and on on Indigenous people and all these sorts of things. But we we are still waiting for, in a lot of ways, the um, the the people's history of Canada, mm. right? For all of its flaws, for all of its limitations, uh, we we still need something like that. I don't know if I'm the person to write it. I mean, uh, Howard uh, Zinn, in addition to writing this, was, uh, you know, an established academic uh, and, uh, you know, was a political science prof, I believe, at Boston University. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if, if, if it's going to take a scholar to mm-hmm. want to do it uh, to uh, write a history like that uh, of the Canadian working class and of 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 all Canadians that have sort of been left out of the official history. We don't. Yeah, have I wonder. It yet. I wonder if there is even that sentiment right now. Like you come from academia, my basic brushes with it and talking to people that did. It, it's sometimes hard to find a an acceptance of a real strong willed uh, leftist ideology in some ways. I don't know if that's still the case, but you know, please enlighten me. Well, it's not just purely ideological. Yeah. It's like the nature of academic research is towards specialization, mm. right? Like you want to like you want to like specialize. You want to focus. Uh, you want to write your article or your book, and you want to like produce new research. Uh, and it's it's not necessarily the case that a lot of scholars will go out and write the grand history, right? The history of Canada, uh, you know, eighteen sixty seven to present, or the history yeah. of. Of, of these sorts of things. Uh, I think that it, it has created a situation where the scholarship has never been better in some ways, but it's more siloed, right? Um, and, and, and this is a, this is a big issue. I mean, Zinn first published this book, it should be recalled, when he wrote it. He wrote it in 1980, which was, uh, you know, maybe when scholars were still a little bit more likely to do broader sweeping takes, now it's about uh, about specialization and 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 you know like a, a very focused theses. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I, I I think the person to write something like this would likely have to be a you know uh, somebody who is well regarded, maybe a senior scholar who has sort of already proven that they could do the nitty gritty history and wants to take it on. But right now it's like we we do not have an equivalent. Uh, 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 to the, to this in Canada, yeah. we don't. Maybe Not we something will, people yeah. would agree. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we will someday. So thank you all again for listening. If you want to ask us a question or be involved in the conversation. 
pretty lively there at Discord. I got to say, it's been really nice talking to uh, so many different Canadians, different walks of life, people that are working in grocery stores that are, you know, telling us the behind the scenes there, how it's been some academics and people in media. So if you want to be a part of this community, please, you know, if you just five bucks a month, that's all we're going to ask. Patreon.com slash left turn Canada. And also we are going to double down on the uh, charities and outreach for uh, Palestinians in need that we did last week. If you do have a little extra you want to contribute, please do. Links to that will be below. Uh, Christo, anything else? We good for this week? I think we're good. All right. See you all next week. If you like today's show, consider joining the Harbinger Media Network, which includes shows like Alberta Advantage and the 49th Parahel. For access to these programs and more, go to theharbingermedianetwork.com.